Welcome to Inspirational Leadership. My name is Kristen Harcourt. I'm an executive coach and professional speaker. For those of you who are new to the podcast, I created this show to speak with inspiring, uh, progressive CEOs, forward-thinking experts, HR strategic leaders who are really passionate about leadership development and creating positive work cultures. I truly believe if we can humanize the workplace and put people first, we will have much more productive and successful organizations. And I'm excited to introduce you to our guest today. I'm speaking today with Peter Economy. Peter is the leadership guy at Inc. Magazine. He's a best-selling author, co-author, and ghostwriter, and does a lot of work with the C- with C-suite executives. Welcome to the show, Peter. Thanks, Kristen. Great to be here today. So I can't, I, I want to make sure that I start off right away with the book that you have just launched in March. Uh, Peter wrote the book, um, Wait, I'm the Boss. The Essential Guide for New Managers to Succeed from Day One. And I have to say that I I read the book. And honestly, if I was a brand new leader, this would be what I'd want to read because you touch on so many different areas um, that I think are very critical for someone going from being an individual contributor to becoming a leader. Thank you so much, Kristen. Yeah, it's, um, you know, it came from my own experience becoming a new leader myself. And you know, I think it's so critical today for any any business, no matter how large or how small it may be, to have um, great leaders, great bosses, great managers. Um, I, Gallup did a survey uh, not too long ago and found that, that bad bosses, quote unquote, bad bosses are the number one reason why employees leave their companies. So it's critically important to any, any business um, to have really great leadership. And one of the things I want to touch on with you is, um, you know, we talk a lot about being a leader, but then also being a manager. And sometimes I hear, oh, no, we don't want, we want everyone to be leaders. We don't want them to be managers. And I I quickly dispel that myth because we need people Mm -hmm. who can lead, but they also need to manage things, manage people, manage priorities, manage a lot. Um, So from your perspective, Peter, what's the difference between um, leadership qualities and management qualities? Yeah, I think management has gotten kind of a bad rap um, over the years. I think, you know, people hold leaders up as that's something on the pedestal you're supposed to aspire to as being a great leader. But you're right. I mean, you're perfectly right that great leaders also have to be great managers. You have to have both. It's sort of the yin yang kind of thing. It's both sides of the coin where leadership is inspiration. Leadership is getting people to become engaged, excited about their work and want to follow, you know, want to follow your vision. However, management is all about getting things done. So you have to have that operational side of things too. You've got to be able to hire, recruit and hire great people. You've got to be able to motivate people. You've got to be able to set goals, uh, hold people accountable. There's a whole mechanism there, you know, processes that you've also got to master and set up and, and, and run. So it's really both. You can't, either or is not really the, the answer. Absolutely. And so, you know, the, the name of this podcast is Inspirational Leadership. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm going to start on, on, on that area and not necessarily just what it looks like to be an inspirational leader, but in terms of the characteristics that really contribute to doing well as a leader. What are some of the areas, and, and I know you talked about this in the book as well, what are some of the areas that come up for you? Well, certainly, um, you know, to be an inspiring leader, um, part of that is being optimistic. I believe, I think that 
you know, everybody wants to come to work and, and, and feel good about what the, the work that they do to be um, inspired by their work and inspired by the people they work with, inspired by the, their leadership. So I think that optimistic leaders naturally make, feel people, make people feel better um, about themselves, about their work, about their leadership. And so people want to work for uh, optimistic leaders. And uh, that's one quality for sure that I think is, is really important. And I think uh, when we're talking about, uh, you know, starting and, and going from being an individual contributor to all of a sudden leading people, and so you've become a boss, and it's the first 30 days, it's the first 90 days, what would you recommend as, as the really, uh, those first priorities as you start to get your feet wet as, as a new manager or leader? Right. So, um, you know, particularly for a new manager, who's just learning the ropes. I, I think it's important, one of the most important things you can do is, is to find a mentor. So find someone that you can work with that will help guide you um, to, to be becoming a, a leader. So uh, for example, when I first became a leader many, year, many, many years ago, um, I, did, well, I wasn't trained. I mean, most organizations don't train leaders. It's, it's very few uh, minutes that are devoted to training leaders and, and managers every year. Um, there's been surveys done and, and most companies do no more than 24 minutes a year and larger companies do less, um, they've found. So it, it's, it's, so the, the best thing you can do is, is, is find a mentor. Again, I was not trained when I became a, first became a, a manager. I was supposed to sort of soak it up by osmosis by watching my manager and I was, I was lucky I had a good manager, but a lot of people don't. And so your example is that bad manager, and that's what you learn. You, you learn to become a bad manager because your manager is also bad. So find a good manager, find someone, a leader that you, that you respect, respects you, and, and, tr and ask that person if they will mentor you, if they'll set aside a little bit of time. Um, to mentor you. I think that's, that's one of the most important things for any new manager to do right off the bat. Yeah, and um, I like what you mentioned there, like your experience uh, starting as a manager, there was no training provided. And through a lot of the research and data that you've experienced, um, for myself as a speaker who speaks all the time around leadership and self-awareness and emotional intelligence, and I can't tell you how many times I've asked the people in the room, 100, 250, 500 people, how many of you are training your leaders? And I'll see a couple of hands, a couple hands, not the whole room, a couple of hands go up. And um, to me, that is such a disconnect. It's the best investment you can possibly make. To the point as a coach, I, I can't tell you how many leaders they actually, new leaders are coming to me and seeking the support on their own for the coaching because the organization is not sponsoring it. So they realize if they want to be set up for success, they're, they're doing it on their own. So from your perspective, where do you think that gap is? Like what, what's the conversation we need to be having with organizations to help them understand why this is so important? Right. Well, you know, it's interesting because I think a lot of the largest companies, say Fortune 500s, for example, uh, they typically do this already. They do this really well. They'll have leadership tracks. They'll have, man, you know, management training tracks. They'll, they'll kind of pick out people that have leadership potential and, and they'll put them on these tracks. Um, they'll train them. They'll move them around the world to different positions, you know, progressively more responsible positions. They're really good at that. But I think so many small and medium companies just don't do that. And again, that's what the data shows. So I, th I think the, 
maybe the conversation has to be with the you know top management with you know the, the the data shows the statistics show that bad bosses are the number one reason why people quit their jobs if we've got a recruiting a retention problem why is that is it because we're not we don't have good managers i mean what what you know you have to look into that and see what the reason is but i think the gap is filling the gap is saying we want to keep our best people. We don't want them going away. We want to keep them. We want to keep them here and happy. How can we do that? We can, we can grow better managers. We can grow better leaders and, and put some money into that. And I think the payoff is huge. I mean, you're saving money. I mean, recruiting and retaining an employee, um, just recruiting is, is tens of thousands of dollars often. All the training you give them over the years, that's you know tens of thousands more. Uh, you've just put a great investment into a person. And then if they leave because of some reason you could have done something about, then you know that's that's a huge mistake. Yeah, it reminds me. There used to be a dialogue I was having all the time before I, I got into coaching and, and consulting and was doing a little bit of work around talent talent management and recruitment. And I would have leaders coming to me all the time saying, we want to get A-level talent. We want to get high performers, high potentials. We want to make sure we're doing our recruitment process better to get them in the door. And I said, that's great. That's one part of it. But the other part is when we look at high potentials and high, high performers, 80% of them are passive candidates. They are already in jobs. So they're going to leave one job to come to your job. There's a lot of different things that they're looking for. And just as you were mentioning right there, having a really good leader is one of the number one things they want, right? They want someone who's going to help them grow, who's going to create space for innovation, who is going to um, give them a lot of autonomy. And then they, they get into this role. So you got the high perform, you got the high potential. They're not going to stay when they get these bad leaders. They're going to leave. And then I can't tell you time after time, oh, no, 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 no. We don't, we don't want to do anything with that. No, no, no. We're not, we're not going to do anything with our leaders. We just want to get, we're just focused on recruitment right now. And I said, so you're just putting on Band-Aids. You don't want to get to the root cause. If you're not going to do the root cause, and again, I don't think it's an either or. You want to have some good recruitment right. um, practices, but you also have to have what's it going to look like when they get into the organization. Sure. Yeah, exactly. I, I, you know, it's, it's two sides of the coin again. You've got to get them in, but then you've got to keep them in. You know, you don't want them just walking right back out the door after you've um, put so much time and effort into getting a great employee. You don't want that employee to just walk back out. Exactly. Um, so over the last couple of years, there's been a lot of conversations around performance reviews, and you will hear the different spectrums, the extremes that we're completely getting rid of, um, that we're going to have no more performance reviews um, ever again. And then you have the organizations that are cognizant of that um, they're going to do performance reviews, but there's other things that you could be doing more intentionally throughout the year. So what are your thoughts when it comes to doing effective performance management? Well, I think performance reviews are still an important tool, but I think that even more important is just, you know, constant feedback. Um, I do a lot of work with technology clients, these agile um, software developer people and product development um, people. And, you know, part of the agile philosophy is that you do a lot of experiments. You do a lot of kind of short fused experiments, you gather feedback, then you take that feedback and you use that to inform yourself and to learn. Yeah. Uh, I think that more important than a, a yearly and annual performance review, a six month performance review, you know, writing a very formal process, that's still important. But much more important, I believe, is, is that constant feedback. 
you know, is, is, is just informally talking with your employees, every, every single person that works for you and, and giving them a steady stream of feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just person to person, one-on-ones, um, at least weekly, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe even just more often than that, if, if possible. But, but you did a great job on this, um, this report. You just did this report. I love the way you gathered the data. You know, did you consider some other sources of data that would have been, you know, also might, maybe would have been helpful? But just give them feedback constantly and informally. I think that's, that's really key. Yeah, and it's um, and I think sometimes at first there's this, um, especially with new leaders, uh, you know, what am I supposed to be saying? What does this look like? It's like anything. It's building a muscle. The more you do it, the easier it will get, and the more um, specific you can be around the feedback, then they can do something with the feedback. And it's also um, the 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 more you can have. I, I like. I'm sure if you heard the book Radical Candor, the more you yeah. can be direct and with your feedback, because feedback is kind, right? The more you can help them understand what they could do better next time and give them those growth opportunities, we're, we're actually really craving that um, in terms of our own personal development. So the more those conversations can be happening, um, the more they can start to gauge what am I doing well, what am I not doing well, how am I, might, might I change that in, in the next time rounds? Exactly. Yeah, 100%. I'm curious um, around uh, the leadership guy. Uh, so you're, you're, you've been written, how many yeah. articles have you written there now, Peter, on Inc. Magazine? It's over, it's over 1,500 articles wow. which, um, over the period of, I think, five or six years. It's, it's a lot of articles. <laughs> so that's a lot of, um, from, from, from when you are writing these different articles, I'm sure you find that certain themes get more, uh, more attention, that more people are sharing it, that there's more dialogue around it. What have been some of those big themes that you have noticed? Yeah, well, that's very true. And it's interesting that it, it changes over time. And, you know, certain themes will, will come and go. But I think a couple that I've noticed that have done really well over the years, emotional intelligence has always been really big. So, um, you know, people want to be more emotionally intelligent. They want to, especially managers, leaders, they want to relate better to their employees with their employees. Um, they want to, you know, treat people well. So I think emotional intelligence has been a really big topic. Uh, you know, a, another topic is always how to be a better leader. I mean, just how to be a better leader. What are seven, for example, you know, when I do an article, it says something like seven qualities of great leaders or, or five ways to take your leadership from good to great. Those kinds of articles always do well. Um, people want to know specifically what can they do? What are, what are five things they can do right now to become a better leader? So I'd say those two things definitely pop out right off the bat. And there's a whole other, you know, a lot of self-care. So people want to, you know, they read about stress, like here's, you know, seven ways or, you know, to become less stressed at work. Um, You know, here's why you need to sleep more. (laughs) You know, you should get your seven or eight hours of sleep. This is a good thing because, you know, X, Y, and Z. So those topics do really well. And it's, it makes me happy to hear those topics are doing well. And I think it points back to what you said around the mentor, or I'm a big believer in people working with a coach as well. So it's one thing to read the information. It feels good to read it and see it. It's another to now put it into action, right? What does it look like to be practicing, doing, using the school, the skills, having accountability. Um, I, I like to describe sometimes it's two steps forward, five steps back, right? When you're trying something new and getting used to it, right. habit change, behavior change doesn't happen overnight. Sure, definitely. 
Yeah, I mean, it takes a certain amount of time just to break a bad habit. You know, yes. I, I, there's been all sorts of calculations on that. I don't remember what the current one is, but it takes a lot of work to break a habit and it takes a lot of work to form a new habit. So. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and uh, you and I were speaking now, it's on um, April the 6th and, and right now, April the 6th, 2020, because this podcast, somebody might be listening it two years from today. Sure. Yeah. And we're currently experiencing a global pandemic. And um, I think I've been very deliberate around not doing podcasts that are all about the global pandemic because I think there's a lot of that going on and people actually want to be talking and thinking about other things. Uh, however, uh, you know, you're talking about what it's like to be a new leader. And I, I got to tell you, there's going to be some people right now that are in the trenches right now, um, trenches of their homes um, for a lot of right. them, or they might be, we've got essential services that are out there and some of them might be new leaders and it's not an easy time. So, um, you know, what are some of the recommendations that you would give for these people who are just right now getting into leadership and experiencing what's going on right now with this global crisis? Yeah, I think one of the most important things when you're in, in a crisis situation, no matter the cause, whether it's a global pandemic or, you know, we have hurricanes in our country and earthquakes and, and you know, there's all sorts of potential um, natural disasters and so forth and other crises that come to come around. But I think that one of the most important things that any new manager needs to learn is that communication is, is really key. That when you're in a time of crisis, you need to communicate more. Um, I mean, you should always communicate a lot as a manager, as a, as a leader. That's one of the fundamental things I think any great leader does a lot of is communicate. But when you're in a crisis, you need to communicate even more. You need, if you, I would err on the side of over-communicating. You know, every day you should be talking to your employees. You should be talking to them either in person, sending out emails, sending out texts, you know, getting with on Slack channels, you know, these community channels that people have on platforms to uh, communicate within their companies. Um, every way possible, you know, on their website. Um, I think it's that's one of the most important things any new manager should, and any manager in any position should learn. Yeah, I agree completely. You can't over communicate right now. People just want to hear from you as much as possible, even if there's a small little thing that you can share with them in terms of where you're going, what's going on, what's happening, um, how they can get in contact with you. And, and let's also remember just saying, how are you doing? <laughs> what's coming up for you exactly. right now? What can I do to further support you? Um, what's, you know, people are all experiencing the full range talking about emotional intelligence. Um, I've been, I've been really trying to get this message out loud and clear over the last couple of weeks that there's not one right or wrong way to process what's happening right now. We all have our own operating systems. We're all processing it and going through it in our own, in our own way. And the, having empathy and compassion for whatever that looks like for each person is really going to help leaders um, right now, help leaders, but help leaders to support the individuals that are going through their own personal um, way of coping through this. Yeah, and, and we are all going through this. I mean, even myself, who's an independent contractor, um, you know, I don't work for a, a company. I work for my own company. And I've got clients who I, I, I worry about, who I have empathy for. I mean, I've got one client in Barcelona, Spain, yeah. who's just sort of him and his family are just sort of bunkered down to, to try to stay isolated from this, 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 this virus. I've got another client in Hamburg, Germany, who her and her family are in the same boat. I mean, we're all in the same boat. And whether you work for a company, you know, with um, 100,000 people who you're worried about and em empathetic for, or a, a small business like myself who has maybe 10 clients scattered around the, the world, 
um, you know, we've, we've got to have empathy. We've got to have that emotional intelligence um, for our clients, for our employees, for ourselves as well. And so I, I, I'm glad you brought that up in terms of you having empathy for your clients, because uh, one of the things that I'm trying to be cognizant of is, is I'm also a human that's feeling the full range of emotions. Right. So what have you noticed, Peter, just you know, from the beginning, from when this has started and what's been going on, what have been some of the emotions, some of the struggles you've experienced? Um, well, I mean, there's the immediate emo- emotion of worrying about getting this virus myself. I mean, I, I worry... You know, my, my kids, I've got three kids. I'm, I'm married. I have a wife and kids. Uh, my wife and I live together in our home. Uh, my three kids are scattered around California. I have one up in Northern California, one in Oakland, California, and one, one here in San Diego. And I worry about myself that maybe I'll get sick and then I won't be able to, to, to work. So what happens if I can't work? Well, I can't make money. Um, so that's not good. Yeah. I worry about my family. What if they get sick? Um, that'll be a, potentially a very bad thing. And then I worry about my clients. I worry about them. What if they get sick and, and become debilitated by this disease? I, I really worry about that, not just because of my own income that I get from them, but also just because many of my clients become friends. When we become you know, colleagues and friends, I so about that. So, I mean, I've been, it's, it's a lot of worry. I mean, honestly, it's a lot of worry um, just all around about, and then my community, I mean, the community, my neighbors, the community, everything. So it's just, yeah. it's a huge burden <laughs> to have yeah. Yeah. all of a sudden. And it came on so quickly. So, yeah. Yeah. And thank you for sharing so, um, so vulnerably and authentically. And, and I think it's, it's helpful for us to be sharing some of the things in, in our toolkit. And I'm going to share after you as well. Um, what are some of the things that you find work well for you when you're noticing that you are feeling some of that worry? Well, I think that, you know, the things that, that help relieve worry like that is to find some, some stability, some truth. So I, I look I look closely at the sources of those worries, and I'm always reaching out. So I'm reaching out to my clients. I'm saying, "How's everything? Are you guys okay?" Yeah. So I try to relieve myself by knowing that they're okay. You know, I'm reaching out to them a couple times a week. You know, is everything okay? Are you guys okay? How's your family? How's your daughter? Um, what are you doing? Are you able to get out at all? Enjoy the the sun, like you were saying, enjoying the sun. Are you able to do that? So I, I'm in touch with them. And then when I hear back from them that everything's good, then I, that makes me feel better. It makes me feel less worried about them. Um, obviously, I feel less worried about my, my kids when I hear from them every day we're talking, you know, that they're okay, that they're not sick, that they're staying well, they're, they're doing okay. So that makes me feel better. My wife, I know, because she's around all the time. Um, so those kinds of things, I think just reaching out and staying in touch with, with the people who are important in your lives. And this is true for, you know, when you're a a manager in in any size business, many of your employees may be working from home now. Um, and, and so keep in touch, you know, reach out to them, um, call, text, email, Skype, um, zoom, whatever you want to do. And just, just reach out and keep in touch and keep that connection. I think, you know, because Management and leadership is all about the connection, you know, building bridges of trust. And I, I think that, you know, keeping those, those bridges of trust strong are, are, are critically important because you'll, you, that's, that's what makes management work is having bridges of trust that are strong and, and in place. Yeah, so important. And, um, you know, I, I think that 
points to a couple of things. One, that as a leader, we have to remember also you have to put your own oxygen mask on first, right? So what are leaders doing to take care of themselves? Um, It actually showed up with a client I was coaching last week. Um, He came to the recognition that Oh, he, he had forgotten that and he realized that he was feeling um, that he was missing something. And, and what it was, was that there were a lot of times um, throughout the day where he would just kind of have those, uh, if you want to call it the water cooler conversations or go to somebody's office about one thing and then get into another thing and just have those dialogues that were dialogues just for dialogues, right? There wasn't um, necessarily something, uh, direction with those conversations. And so he actually um, set a goal for himself that he would have three reach outs every day, right? Specific, not just to his team, just reach outs for himself to fill himself up with his, with the organization. Um, what I also was thinking about as you were speaking uh, around the worry and the, the, some of the kind of um, what can happen behind the scenes is even if people are practicing some, some mindfulness or some meditation. And I know sometimes people hear meditation, they think it has to be like mm-hmm. sitting down on a, on, on a pillow and being silent for an hour. <laughs> no, like meditation could just be sitting on the chair when you first wake up in the morning and giving yourself two minutes to just take some really deep breaths and just get grounded and centered. And then um, I've been encouraging people as well. And, and this is for me too, just much as everybody else, all the advice I'm giving out to everybody else, it's my own advice. I listen to what right. I, I say out there. And uh, another thing is just um, constantly checking in with myself to see what I need. So one day it might be, I need to be in social media because I want to connect. I want to have conversations. And then I notice that the next day, all that noise and everyone talking about COVID-19 and who's going to happen, all right. these people, it was, it's actually too much. And I need to separate and take myself away from social media. Right. That's a great point. I think that every person has to decide for themselves how much input they can take. I mean, I've noticed that too, that there's just too much. It's like a flood. It's a, it's a, it's a fire hose of, of information. And some of it's, you know, some of it varies from others. So some, you know, one expert will say this thing, another expert will say something else. This network will say something, this other network will say something else. And, and I see on, on social media, particularly like Facebook, that there's so many, un, not, I, I don't know if I should call them untruths, but just not correct and incorrect information. Let's call yes. it incorrect information. Yes. And rumors, people will say, oh, I, I heard from somebody that, that, that told me that their friend said this. Yes. about this virus. And I, you know, my, my natural reaction is to either react like, no, that's not right. Or to try to correct them. But yeah. you know, you've got to decide for yourself how deep you want to get in. And I, I'm trying to avoid that. And, but then I, I think it's so important to also then take care of yourself. You know, my wife and I have been doing Pilates for, for several years. Our studio closed, um, I guess the end of March or you no, know, it's been actually about three or four weeks they closed because of our stay at home order here in California. So my wife set up a little Pilates thing for us. She found some videos online um, and then we were doing meditation too. So three days a week, we're doing a, a little Pilates session and meditation session just to just to unplug, get away from the world for an hour, three times a week. And maybe we'll get yeah. more of that at some point. And I'm just so grateful that she did that because I wouldn't have done it. <laughs> I would have just continued to watch the TV and get the news and get that fire hose of information and, and not unplug enough. 
Yes. Yes. It's so true. It's getting that movement. And I'm someone who was normally going to the gym and yoga classes and everything shut down. And then there's that little bit of a period. And I I was kind to myself. I gave myself some grace and self-compassion at first, you know, doing a lot of walking outside. But then eventually I said, you know, I'm I'm noticing I'm missing the movement in a different way. So went out there, asked all the people, like, what's that, some of the online workouts you would recommend? And we found some great yoga classes. We found some great 30 minute workouts. My daughter and I were in this room the other day doing it and actually ended up being a really fun connection moment. And I'm sore today. So I must've done something right. (laughs) Did something right. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You can get as rigorous as you want. I mean, there's all kinds of videos out there at different levels. So yeah. Um, I'm trying to ease into it personally. And it's, and it's kind of even just you and I right now in this moment, having some laughter and, and, and play, right? I think that we can be so tense and have all this anxiety that's underneath that we're not even recognizing to just have some laughter, to just be able to play. Luckily, I have a 7, 10-year-old who remind me how to play all the time, right. even though I don't want to partake sometimes. Um, but, it, you know, it's just that opportunity to just let loose because we need a lot of that when we're so, all of that heightened anxiety. And I think you said something really important um, just a little while ago, uh, which was that, you know, when you, you should reach out to your people, to your employees, and it doesn't have to be for a work thing. It doesn't have to be for, you know, how are you doing on this, this project? Are you, you know, are you on schedule? That kind of thing. It could be just to talk, just to relate as a human, yeah. you know, is, how are you doing? How's your family? How are your kids? Uh, is everybody home? At, is there anything I can do to help you? Is there anything our company can do to help you? That kind of thing to reach out and say hello. It goes a long way. Like you said, human to human. We all are looking for a human connection right now. Right. Even more so because you can't physically hug. So you want to do hugs as much as you can through technology or hearing somebody's voice. You're getting some of that human connection. Exactly. Um, Peter, thank you so much. I, I, you just offered so much really, really great information and I highly recommend, and I, and I want to say, this isn't just for new leaders, this book, it's for any leaders, because what can also happen is you're a leader. You've been working for five years, 10 years, 15 years. Um, first of all, you could have some bad habits. Um, there's some things you probably, you might've not thought of in this way. And then maybe there's some things that are in your toolkit and some things that are not in your toolkit. So I, I highly really would recommend this to, to all leaders. Um, but I always like to let my guests, um, Peter leave their final thoughts. So what, what final thoughts would you like to leave with our audience? You know, I think that, um, the best leaders are, are, are human. Uh, they at, at, at leadership and management as as a job, but they also look at it as a, as a way to connect with people. Um, it could be their employees, could be their customers, could be their communities. Um, it's all about connection. And I and I said this earlier, building bridges of trust. So I think that being 100% human is, is key to that, um, to being a great leader, a great manager. And that's that's a thought I'd leave. You know, be a, be a 100% human. This is why I always talk about humanizing the workplace and to humanize the workplace is to show up as humans because we're, we're, we're a whole bunch of humans working together, whether that be the workplace we're working at in terms of corporate or like what you're doing as well. We're all working um, human to human. So I, I think that's some great advice, Peter. Thank you so much, Kristen. Thank you for being a guest today, Peter. It was a blast. I'm glad you asked me to be on. Thank you so much. And for everybody who's listening along to this episode, um, please feel free to go to the website, Kristen Hark- 
kristenharcourt.com for additional resources. And if you're listening on listening to the podcast on iTunes, um, please feel free to leave a rating and your thoughts uh, on today's episode. It just helps for more people to be able to listen to the podcast. Thanks and have a wonderful day.